Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's two o'clock on Tuesday on the Eastern, Eastern Coast time zone, and we're we're hosting the nonprofit exchange yet again. Every week, it's great, it's special. Every week we have a guest that shares some really good stuff and nobody's the same. And we're talking about money today. We've talked about money before, but it's gonna be different about money. It's one of those things everybody talks about. Yeah, let's see what we're gonna say today. Uh, the Nonprofit Exchange is, is brought to you. Our sponsor today is Easy Card. Easy Card is a virtual card where all your tribe can have you in the palm of their hand. Boom, they can send you a text. Boom, they can send you an email. Boom, they can go to your website. Boom, they've got all your, your main components. When are you meeting next? Where do I donate? When's the next board meeting? It's right in their hand. They don't have to get home and get to their computer. So Easy Card is our sponsor today. It's Hugh Blue on the Nonprofit Exchange. So today, yes, my guest is Chella Diaz, a longtime friend, but we finally connected and I understand why she needed to be on the show and tell you things that she knows. So Chella, uh, tell people a little bit about yourself and why you're doing this thing that you're doing. It will be my pleasure and it's an honor to be here. You know, it's all about timing, right? We've known each other for several years and I'm just glad we're here. The timing is perfect, absolutely perfect. So. I want you to know that I have been good with money since I was nine, right? I was just one of those little, little interesting kids. I purchased my first car when I was 17 and my first house when I was 23. And before, and before some of you start jumping, cause this is, I've been doing speaking for a long time. Um, my dad was a baker and my mom was a housewife. So some of you may think it, oh yeah, she got lots of help. I did. Um, not financial, but when I went to purchase my first house, I was short $1,600. And so I did go to my dad and I, he did lend me the money at that point in time. But up to that point in time, it was just one of those things that made sense for me. I have two amazing boys, young men, young men now. And I spent many, many years in the corporate world. I was a real estate underwriter. So along with my already being good with money and money making sense, I also got the opportunity to review over 20,000 real estate loans. So I got to see, right? This is the black and white stuff. This is, this is me reviewing tax returns and seeing how the wealthy save their money and the folks that don't have their money. So I got to see a pattern and after my divorce and after the company I worked for shut down, I knew that I didn't want to go back to that. I knew that there was something bigger that I wanted to do. And that's when I published my first book, Money Bootcamp. My idea was to empower our high school and college students. That's when my business idea began. But you know, the first business idea, it doesn't always take off. So then I was asked to speak at various women's groups. And for me, that's when the light went on. 
watching women and teaching women not only how to manage money, but how they can set themselves up so that they always have enough money to do the things they want to do. That's when truly my passion and just watching the lights go on, right? When I'm able to see, and I do work, I mean, I do work with some men, but my main audience is women and high school students and college students. It's just watching them, right? It's to me, I feel that this is my way of giving back. This is my mission. And I get to have so much fun doing it. So that people always say, find something that you like and you'll never work a day in your life. And I feel very fortunate because that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Having an amazing time. Yeah, gotta have fun, gotta have fun. I'm still doing what I do in, in my senior years and enjoying it more than ever before. There's a lot more to do and actually more to learn. Um, so my area is, of course, leadership and organizational development, and it, it's a big area to learn about. And money is another big area. And um, we, we start out in, in the nonprofit world with this word nonprofit. So we immediately set the, the tone that's negative. And we've got to run a business. We've got to have cash flow. We've got to have profitability. It's not profit in the sense of, of business where we, we, we look out for our shareholders and we, we have this big, big salary for the, the top guy or top girl. So it's, it's a really, it's a for-purpose enterprise where we're doing charitable work, but watching money. So we've had the, we have this negative thing about money from the start. And, and so I am sure when we, when we minimize things and we cut pennies, we're really hurting ourselves in, in terms of how we manage money. So, and in, in, we're in an era where women leaders are stepping up. So this is a good time for you to be talking about how women bring unique gifts to the marketplace as social entrepreneurs, running a business, running a charity, running an association, um, pastors. My wife's a clergy in the Methodist church. So there's new opportunities for women to bring fresh ideas and fresh perspectives. So let's talk about this, this whole thing about how we see money. What are, the, what are some of the biggest problems and how people approach money or see money or, or think about money? I believe that it goes back to when we are five years old, seven years old, and we begin to hear we can't afford it. You have to work hard for your money. Money does not grow on tree, right? These are some of the three most popular ones that I come across. And so if you think of that little child and so that story that we hear, how it travels and how it grows with us so that we can't afford it. And now we're here in a purpose right? We have our purpose. We want to help people, but we, if we're still having the, well, we can't afford it. It's hard to get money. It's, you have to struggle for money. I think that that really interferes with our mission and our purpose. It prevents us from asking, going out there and showing up, whether we're, we're working on the passion project, whether we're working, it doesn't matter, right? We tend not to show up for our business. We tend not to share. And most importantly, we do not ask for what we need. In the case of nonprofits, we're really, um, we're really sharing our vision and our mission and the, the in, impact that we're having on people's lives. So in a way we're asking, but in a way we're inviting people to participate in that, that work. So 
So we start these habits, if, if I hear you right, we've been spoon-fed these from the beginning, like we were told from the beginning, things about leadership that don't work. So we've been told things about money that really are not our friend, that they don't help us at all. So what's the antidote to this? The antidote to me is going and identifying what that story was and connecting to how that's currently affecting your financial picture. And I know it sounds simplistic, but I got to tell you every single one of my clients that has done this, because once you identify and you shed some light or you bring it into the table or, you know, whatever you may want to call it, then you're no longer subject to that story, right? It's giving it, giving it voice. Don't give the voice to the story. Don't, don't, yeah. It's like we download software in our computer, but then we have to learn how to use it correctly. So we just don't use the, uh, only the templates. So we have a couple of young, oops, we lost one. We have Riyadh, who's here from, uh, he's a young leader. He's in Algeria, happened to be. So he's, he's part of uh, Bob Hopkins' class. Bob is a professor at junior college in Dallas. And he's got a special interest in inspiring uh, young leaders uh, to think about uh, philanthropy in a new way. So to be a philanthropist, we, um, hello, Riyadh, welcome. To, to, to be a philanthropist, we don't need to be afraid of money. I mean, it, philanthropy, I've learned from Bob, is not all about the money. We do make financial contributions. But in, in, as we welcome new people in, into Methodist Church, we say, you know, participate with your time, your talent, and your money. And, and so there's, there's a triple uh, invitation for people, time, talent, money. But there's an opportunity for young people to understand that I had Ivan Meisner on the show last week week and the motto for BNI is givers gain and, and so that's a, it's a different mindset so um, so how do we get an awareness of some of these negative things that we've been taught because you're in with all the people that have taught you how do we get an awareness of maybe we ought to have a different mindset with money maybe it's time for us to shift that um, by simply beginning to write as, as we're sitting here I'm a huge note taker. So as, as you're saying wisdoms, because I've already wrote a couple of notes, is write down. Sit down for 10 minutes, for seven days, silent, and think about what those money conversations you listen to. Just because that's going to bring them up to the awareness, right? And the other thing is that what if, so everybody, I would say pretty much everybody has a conversation. But there's a few of you out there that are not going to have that because adults did not talk about money. So I want to say both of that. So if go back 10 minutes, seven days, I'd love to hear from you what you, your feedback is. Because these things, the minute you begin to give the mind a task, it's going to do it for you. But if you don't remember adults having talking about money, that's also very telling. Because that means that as a little boy or little girl, what stories did you make up about the fact that adults were not talking about money? And that's also very powerful because, right? <laughs> because then you make up a story. As a kid, you made up a story what that meant. And, and I wish I, I was making this up, but this is that. So as an adult, it's possible that you're in the relationship and you, you don't talk about money, but you have this white elephant in the room that nobody's talking about, so, right? So not listening, not hearing a conversation is also incredibly very telling. So what did that little girl, little boy make up as a story? 
And, and the, we know that we give energy to what we think about. And you think about debt, 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 panic time. We're in a panic time. People, the media wants to, want to scare us, so we'll read their, watch their show or read their newspapers. But um, we, we don't need to buy into some of these narratives that have, that have really penalized us. And we get in this, this way, we, uh, Dan Pilata, um has this keynote that he talks about the way we think about charities dead wrong. And nonprofit is a good starting point. It's, it's a bad word. It's a lie. But it's the word we know. And that's why we call this the nonprofit exchange. It's a, it's a genre of operating. It's a tax-exempt business. So um, we're talking with Chella VS today, and we're on the nonprofit exchange. If you've come by on Facebook, um, please stay. Please share it with others. Please comment. Um, we, we do this every Tuesday at 2 Eastern time, and then it goes into the podcast, thenonprofitexchange.org. Thenonprofitexchange.org is where you find it. But the Nonprofit Exchange is wherever you get podcasts um, for your smartphone. Now, um, part of the headline here is money leaks, finding money leaks. So what do you mean about money leaks? You carry it in a bucket and it leaks out? What, what, what's a money leak? I'm gonna make that a picture, Hugh. I'm gonna I'm gonna literally get a bucket in it. Yeah, because as we go through life and we get services and we don't realize that some of these do we are we really using the services? Not the most traditional one would be, you know, we purchased a membership uh, to the gym and we don't really use it. Um, but there's so many other things that we 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 go out and purchase and we don't use. So those are the money leaks. But so those are the ones that definitely that would be step one. But also, how are you choosing to spend your money? And this is the $100,000 question, folks. Question and answer right here. If you are able to sit down and track your finances for 30 days, whether you go back and do it or where you start fresh from here moving forward, if you're able to keep track of any time you spend over a dollar, just keep track of it on a notepad, on a Word document, on your Excel, doesn't matter, on an app, whatever that is for you. At the end of the four weeks, you're going to divide that list into how much did you spend on wants and how much did you spend on needs. Now, I prefer to do it every week, so it doesn't seem like such an overwhelming task. So you break this task into weeks, so you just do it for four weeks. How much did you spend on wants? How much did you spend on needs? At the end of the four weeks, you will find your money leaks. One of my favorite examples is one of my, uh, the young ladies that was spending $750 a month for lunch. Because you don't realize how much you're spending, right? You go to the bank, you get the money, you know, it's just something you're going through. You're in automatic pilot, right? You don't realize where the money is going. But by taking the time to do this one task, for four weeks, right? Whether it's lunch, whether it's dinner, whether it's snacks. One of my clients, $125 in snacks. He would stop at the corner store before getting to work to pick up snacks. Now, 125 minutes, but for snacks, I'm like, you know, that's, imagine what you could do with $125 a month extra. So by doing this one task, you're going to find where your money leaks are. I don't believe in giving up everything. So after you find your money leaks, like my lunch person, 
she then decided she was going to start putting away $500 towards the down payment of a house. And, but she still went out to lunch. So she still had $250 to work with to go over lunch. So that's when finding your money leaks, you'll find what other choices you can make with your money. How are you choosing to spend your money? That's where the magic happens, folks. Yeah, you start buying a five or six dollar latte every day. That that adds up to a lot of money. <laughs> so that's that's a lot of money over the terms of a week, a year. Oh my goodness. So you start adding all those those um, wants up, not needs. And and so how does that translate into uh, organ? Now let me, before I go there, um, you can get a little app like uh, um, um, Mint. Is, is an app that it just shows you every day where your money went. Is something like that, it's a free app. Is something like that helpful? Absolutely. Because it's doing the work for you, right? It, it's actually, the only thing with some of those apps, if you're able to track everything, fabulous. But sometimes you may not be able to track, you know, the stopping at the store and picking up flowers or stopping at the, girl, you know, so some of those, when you pay for cash, I, that's where Mint may not be. So, but Mint is a great start. I like Mint. I try to do everything on a credit card because I okay. have one of those, and I don't care what the interest rate is because it, because high interest, it encourages me to pay it off. <laughs> so to me, the interest rate, the higher, the better, because I said, okay, I can't, I can't pay interest. So it encourages me just to pay the thing off. But what um, my particular card I have uh, gives me a summary by category in addition to the Mint, but it also gives me hotel points. And I, I go to a lot of hotels I don't pay any money for. So to me, that's a benefit. I think there's a liability in a credit card of saying, oh, I've got credit, I can just use it. And then you end up at the end of the month without the cash to pay it. So what's the, there's, a, there's an accountability process here. If you're struggling to make ends meet, probably the answer is in your, your own spending and you've got to be aware of it. But, but we want to go with friends and they want to spend money. We go out and we have some drinks and we spend money. And really, we don't have to do all that. We can drink water and have a good time and then have, you know, have a wine at home. Pay, pay for a whole bottle of which you buy for one, one glass at the, at the restaurant. Or maybe give it up altogether. So how do we stay on track? How, do you have an accountability partner idea that helps people stay on track? And then maybe we encourage each other. Absolutely. And I love that idea. Um, Hugh just brought up a huge, if you know anybody that has credit cards, ask them to add up three months worth of interest. How much did they pay in three months? This is a game changer. Because when you see that, and let's just take, let's say that it's $500 for three months, right? That's going to be $2,000 for the year. Right, so this is the game changers because when you start thinking, not only am I making the credit card company rich, but what could I be doing with $2,000 at the end of the year, right? So start imagining what that $2,000 looks like for you in your bank account. And I find that when, when people do this task, they're able to go out and work maybe a little bit harder for a short term, of, short term to pay off that debt whether it's selling something, taking up, doing something extra, whatever that may be, so that that money can start flowing into their own account. So that was a phenomenal book. But accountability is actually one of my 
favorite things to do because to this day, I still have two accountability partners. So the accountability partner is one, I suggest it cannot be a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend, right? Because this is something you're working on yourself first, and then you can come together. It's not that you can't tell them what you're doing, but this is, I'll use me as an example. So once upon a time, purchasing personal development courses was a weakness for me. So anytime I went, whether I saw it on TV or I was at an event and I wanted to buy it before, and I set a dollar amount. So for me, anytime I went to spend over a hundred dollars, I, I needed to call my accountability partner and share that I wanted to buy this thing that I could not live without. So that's what an accountability partner does. You, you tell each other what your goals are, you know what your, you know, whatever is your weakness, and then you call each other during that time. And that, when after I started talking about it and just justified and explained to her why I needed to buy this, it was so silly because I really didn't need it. So an accountability partner helps you to stay on track of whatever financial goals you have. It helps you to stay away from the shiny objects and is there to celebrate every time you achieve a milestone. That's really good. These were all really good um, personal growth habits. Um, the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because we bring all of our good and bad habits into the workplace. And many of our audience have had a vision for changing people's lives and they've launched a nonprofit that they have founded and sometimes they run it, sometimes they get other people running it. But, but we want to identify these because the, the personal problems become systemic problems and then become a problem for the organization. Now in the nonprofit world, we're required, which is a good thing, to have a board of directors and the board of directors oversees the money part. Now, the same issues that ex you just talked about um, do exist in organizations. And I've seen organizations that are broke, but there's been no discipline or system or accountability or awareness of, we're, we're living beyond our means is the first one. You know, we don't have the money coming in, but we got to do these programs because it's compelling that we have to do it. Wait a minute, you got you to take care of home first. So, so how do leaders, bring some of these these shortcomings into the workplace and how does that hurt everybody? That is phenomenal, right? Then that's why I think that you have to stay at start at home and find your money leaks and fix your money leaks first. Because when you start to do that, what really happens is that you begin to see other opportunities. Right? Whether it's the saving five hundred dollars a month, you two thousand a year, whatever that may be other opportunities are going to begin to present themselves because debt creates overwhelm and stress. And when you're stressed and overwhelmed and having to think about how you're going to make those payments, and I'm not saying this, Charlie Page, but you know, I mean, there's that, oh, another payment, another payment. I have to write out 10 checks. I know people don't do that anymore. I can't help myself. Automatic pay, whatever that is, right? I need to pay 10 bills versus I need to pay three bills right? That takes stress. But when you're able to get that under control at home, then that's going to be able, those skill sets are you able to transfer to your organization. You're able to maybe come up with different ideas to do a fundraiser. You're able to maybe share about your project to that person that you haven't thought about sharing. 
right? It just, it opens up more space for you to be able to be more productive and bring in more money into your nonprofit or your, I call it passion project, but. Your passion project. Yeah. Yeah. What is your passion project? My passion project is to do workshops for high school students and college students. I want them to start, and, and it's really interesting because what I, a lot, I hear a lot from them is that they don't care about the money, but they want to make a difference. And I say, in order to make a difference, you need the money. Absolutely. I'm going to ask a couple of people online here to ask questions. Um, Riyadh, you're being very polite back there. I'm wondering, uh, as a young person um, facing the life ahead, did this stimulate any questions for you, or do you want to comment on what you're hearing here? And then, then we'll throw it to Professor Hopkins. So, Riyadh, you're you're muted. Do you want to you want to contribute to this conversation? Uh, yes, I am. By the way, I like the use of the credit card, and uh, here where I live, it's not used very much. Here, people are very much with the cash, so they never use a credit card. Starting from my family and my parents, they just use cash. Here in Algeria, we use only cash. But I like the idea of the credit card because like this, you will have to think how to spend the money twice. You won't just buy or do something like that with the, credit, with the cash. Because each time my parents are just spending, spending, spending the cash. If it was with the credit card, it would be better and uh, they would know where to spend the money. So I really love the idea of credit cards. I hope we will apply it once, one, one day. So you're in Algeria. Yes. And how do how do you pay for things? In some countries, they use smartphones to pay for things. How do you how do you pay for things with actual physical cash, or do you use digital payments? Uh, we use physical cash. Physical cash. Yes. All right. All right. Now you're. I understand you've you've gotten admitted to a college in France, so you'll be going to France. Um, so how, how will this kind of information help you think about um, managing your expenses when you're in college? Uh, sure, I love the idea of credit card because like this, I will be, I will, as we say, I will manage and optimize how to spend and where to spend the money with the credit card without spending and carrying the cash with me and buying this and that and that. So with the credit card, I will buy the only thing that I need and uh, like with limits. And each time you see the card, you remember the money. So that's how. Before I go to, to Professor Hopkins, um, we're gonna, let's talk about philanthropy just a little bit. In order to be a philanthropist, you wanna, you wanna manage your time because we give time and talent, but we also give money. So why do you think it's important to manage your own finances? So you're in a culture that's a giving culture too, as I understand. So why is it important for us to have our house in order to be able to be a better philanthropist? Can you hear me, Hugh? Um, Riyadh? Hugh, can you hear me? Yeah, who is that? Bob? Yes, I can hear Bob. I can't hear Riyadh though. Riyadh, are you, are you there? Are you, yes, I you am can here. Hear Bob? Yeah, how do you, how will this managing self help you um, when you're going to college and be a better philanthropist in the rest of your life? Uh, 
you think well, about that a minute, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Professor Bob. He's on a horse. And oh yes. <laughs> um, his horse. I don't know if that's the one. I don't think that's the one to call philanthropy. But Bob, welcome to the nonprofit exchange. And uh, what what comments or thoughts or questions do you have for our guest today? Oh, good. Well, thank you very much. Um, unfortunately, I hate this topic. Um, I hate this topic for me personally. And I hate the words, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. So um, in due respect to you, I think that your topic and what you tell your, the students is what they need because people need to manage money. But you know what? I've never been able to do that, unfortunately, unfortunately, and unfortunately. And because of my elderly age, what you see on the horse is not what I look like today because I'm 50 years older than what that horse is. But anyway, um, you know, I just, I, I try to teach students to think positively instead of thinking, I can't have and I don't have. I tr think that God gives us everything we need. And I think you just have to have a positive attitude about it. Uh, and unfortunately, though, I don't manage money very well. Uh, but the, I, for, for some reason, there always seems to be, it seems to be there when I need it. <laughs> uh, but I do understand. It's a good thing I don't have ch children. And but I was thinking of you when you were telling me, what did I think about money when I was five years old? Well, it seemed like there it would never end. You know, I could always have what I needed. But uh, when I became an adult, my parents divorced, and I think one of the reasons they divorced was because of money. So um, it's not been one of my best topics. Well, let me introduce you to my friend Chella. Uh, so Bob's. Uh, Bob's a colleague out there in, in Texas and he's fond of horses. Bob, thank you. I'm gonna see if Sandy, uh, 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 unmuted Sandy. So Bob, I want to put you back on the watching side. So uh, uh, it's a fascinating conversation. You've triggered some questions. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask Chella something. So uh, Sandy, you have any, anything to weigh in here? You're, you're thinking you've been very quiet in the background. You can unmute if you wanna comment. Well, um... I, my parents didn't have a whole lot of money when I was growing up. And um, when I was 10, they bought their first brand new car and they had no credit whatsoever because they'd always paid cash for everything. And um, so I learned pretty early that it was important to have a credit record at least. But um, I, um, then my dad died when I was 13 and we had even less money <laughs> and I, I never had, um, a, um, I was never given money when I was growing up unless there was something special that I needed to buy. And so I kind of had to justify then why it was that I needed money, <laughs> excuse me. And, um, so I raised my kids that you do need to establish a credit record but you need to not be using a credit card unless you are able to pay that credit card off. And I've pretty much managed to do that through adulthood. There have been times when things have gotten rough and the credit cards, the bills have, paid, have uh, stacked up, but gotten them paid off as quickly as possible. And, and so I, I think I've got a pretty good relationship with money. Yeah, well, great. Sandy, thank you. 
We'll put you back uh, where you can be anonymous again. So Chella, there's, uh, they triggered a couple of interesting topics. So thank you all for letting me bring you in from nowhere to commenting. Um, <clears throat> when you start an enterprise, even if it's a nonprofit and you're gonna apply for a credit card, they're gonna check your personal credit. Uh, a small business or you know, you're the founder of this and you wanna apply for a credit card, then that's what you gotta do. So it's important, this is one area that's really important for having having your act together. You want to comment on that, and then Bob's relationship with money. You know, it's uh, he he um, he's he's a mover and shaker. He's an energy field, and so it makes things happen. But I, I'm sure in his his career with nonprofits, he's seen a lot of them cha uh, challenged with money. And I think it's an attitude that comes from the top. So look, those are two different areas to for you to bounce off of. And actually, Hugh, you had mentioned earlier, and I'm so glad we're talking, we're coming back to this, because when it comes to money, but also when it comes to credit, right, people think about it as a negative thing, but you are proof that that's not the case. You are able to get things for free, right? It's about learning how to use the system. You know, I have a friend and she got like a 32 inch flat screen TV for free. She was a business owner and she charged a lot and she paid a lot and she accumulated so many points. So that's the thing about credit cards, right? That we can use them to our advantage. We can use them just like Sandy. Sandy, thank you for sharing, right? And, and Bob, thank you for sharing. We're going to come back to you in one minute. But you can use these credit cards to your advantage. They don't have to be the bad word. Right, just think about it. this is a tool they can use to get free stuff. I personally have gotten gift cards. It's a great way to get gift cards and you can give them away for gifts. It's, it, you know, I mean, it could definitely work to your advantage having these credit cards, right? And know that the magic is you only need three types of credit. This is credit that's being reported. All you need is three lines in order to build a credit score. I know three lines, three credit cards. Three. Well, it can be it can be a credit card, it could be a car loan, anything that reports. It cannot be, and I, I get this question a lot. It cannot be, for instance, you're paying rent. That's not reported. Uh, utility bills. I know you pay those, but those are not reported, so those not count. So three, whether it's two credit cards, whether it's a a, a car loan. You need three of them in order to build credit. That's it. That's all you need. Wow, wow. So, so um, it's it's all back to what you're talking about to begin with. It's it's a it's a matter of uh, discipline and and our attitude, our attitude about it, and our awareness. So there's a discipline in spending. So um, I, I see a lot of people start a business or a nonprofit, and they just kind of say, "Oh, we're going to make money, and we're going to do these things." How important is it is is it to put a line and a budget out there to say this is our discipline for spending? I love that, and I got to tell you, I I sometimes I don't like to use the B word, um, the budget. So what if we start thinking of it as this is how I'm creating a spending plan? So this is how we're spending our money, right? It just sounds softer. And it doesn't sound quite so rigid. We, we have to stick to the budget. But if you create a spending plan, mm -hmm. then you have choice. 
you spent, you know, you're spending this. This is how much we allocated for this. This is how much we're going to allocate for that. So create a spending plan and stick to the spending plan. Like you said, Hugh, sometimes we want to do and we want to serve, but if we don't have the money coming in, it's, it's going to stop, right? Sooner or later, there's only so much you can do. And unfortunately, right now, I do know quite a few nonprofits that the money is just not coming in yeah. and they may need to shut down. It's a real challenge for the whole sector. Um, small businesses, small churches, small restaurants, um, nonprofits, um, we're all really challenged to rethink how we do things. And, you know, it, it's um, my wife and I have gone through a personal discipline of looking at expenses and shaping it. And we spend a lot less money than we used to. We eat really well and we pretty much do anything we want to do. But we stay under budget every single month. And even though I have a number of credit credit cards, a lot of credit line, we primarily use one. And then, so I don't have to remember that I pay this and I pay that one. And then everything comes on the first of the month. So boom, there's this ritual of making sure you pay it all. So there's 100% on-time payments. There's no interest charges. And it's a good discipline. It's been a really good discipline that's energized us. And we have more money to be able to support the charities that we, we want to support. And I got to tell you, that feels good to be able to um, give some to other people. So how, And when you build your budget, let's talk about the giving part of this, that part of philanthropy is money. Uh, part of it is showing up. And, and uh, you've talked about showing up early, earlier on in this conversation. Showing up is not just physically present. It's emotionally uh, present. So, so where does giving come into our financial system? I think giving should be right up there with paying yourself first, giving, and then meeting meeting your obligations is kind of a toss. And then down the line, it should be your wants, right? And, and not to deprive yourself. I'm not saying deprive, but I'm just saying if you put it in that order, I guarantee you, you will always have money for everything. It just shows up. Just like Bob said, he the money always showed up. He always had everything that he needed to do. and Bob, thank you for sharing. And I agree with you. I think that God definitely gives you all that you need. And I'm delighted. And I believe that thinking positive. What I've seen the struggle, Bob, is that we maybe want to think positive and your students are thinking that. It's the monkey chatter behind the scenes that's going on from the money conversations that we listened to or we heard as children. So you have that conflict. And so it's about identifying that so that that conflict minimized. So far, I haven't been able to make it go away totally, but it is minimized. So the, the voice is a little bit softer. It's not as loud. It's pretty annoying. So that's, it's about making that voice a little softer. That annoying little voice that lies to us. Um, a while back, we had um, our friend David Gruder, Dr. Gruder on here talking about the psychologist's view of money shadow. So say a little bit more about how those negative scripts hurt us. Because we believe them, right? And, and let's, let's take I'm five years old and I'll share mine, right? My dad was a baker and he definitely shared that you have to work hard for your money. And he did. He worked very hard for his money. One time he took on two jobs. One of them, um, one of the pages went to for a down payment of the house. After he bought the house, he quit the second job, right? So he did work hard for his money. And then he was incredibly successful and ended up buying lots of great properties. 
So I grew up with, you have to work hard for money because my dad did physical work. He was a baker. So when I went out in my very first paid speaking gig, listen, folks, I went through it, you know, because here I am getting paid for something that I love doing and for talking, right? So I went through that psychology. And so it's about what that five-year-old identifies with and how we carry that along with us, which is why I think identifying that and releasing it is where the key comes in because then you're no longer subject to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so today we're talking about money and, um, that you started out talking about the lies that we hear about money. Remember that? What were those? So you have to have money to make money. What were those that did you have? Forgot them all. Well, you have to work hard. You have to struggle. Money does not grow on trees. And of course we can't afford it. Those are some of the ones that keep coming up no matter what income you're in. Again, we, we go back to whatever those adults having. And the key here is that this is something, think of it as a gift. These stories that we've been told is a gift. And it's a gift. And sometimes I think it comes from good intention, right? The adults want to prepare us for the future. They want to set up for success. So the stories that they're giving you, they're a gift. Now give them back. That's it. As you write, it was a gift, but you don't have to take the gift. It's okay to give the gift back. Wow. So um, I was formulating another question, but I got, got into what you're, you were talking about. So um, um, those, those, say those, those lines again. You got to work hard for it. It doesn't grow on trees. Oh, I can't afford it. That's where I was going to go. That's code. That's code for I don't like it or I don't understand what you're asking for, isn't it? It is. And also it could be simply that the adults didn't understand. Again, we go back to the adults. We, one more time, Bob, I swear this is the last time we're going to talk about this. But we go back, right? So even, even if you now, you look at the grocery store and you see a mom and kids, if you hear the mom say, no, we can't afford it, so what is that kid in, kid's child interpretation of money, right? It's not about the fact that you said you can't afford it because maybe you can't, maybe you don't want to, maybe, you know, whatever that is, but telling them you can't afford it, it's about the interpretation that the kid is walking away with. It really, you're choosing to spend whatever you got on something else. So, exactly. so it, it, it ceases to be a reason and becomes an excuse. Now that's no reason to go ahead and pay for anything you want. Then, and back to your, your list, wants and needs. So do you do this on a, on a monthly basis, a weekly basis? You do it in, in hindsight or you do it in forecasting? How do you do this want need painting? Right, so you, I, I like the moving forward because then you become more aware and that way we, we, we're, not, we're sure that nothing really slipped through the cracks. Just do this, keep track of your money for seven days. Anytime you spend a dollar, you write it down. At the end of the week, you take a, I like to take a paper, divide the seven days into how much did you spend on wants, how much did you spend on needs. That's it. We don't analyze it, we don't judge it. We're just doing this, it's black and white. You do this for four weeks. You're going to find what are some of the things that are you ready to let go from that list? What are some of the things, like my lunch person, right? 
So instead of, in, not instead of, but along with going out for lunch, she's putting $500 towards the down payment of a house, which was important to her. She wanted to do a house, right? So once you find something you can replace it with, I take it Bob likes horses, so I don't know if we can buy new toys for the horse. I don't know how that works, right? But once you're able to find where the money is going and you choose something else to do with it, that's when you begin to shift and that's where you begin to accumulate and have money for the things. You're a perfect example, Hugh, right? You have a spending plan, but you're always able to do the things you want to do. It, and that's what it's all about. It's having those choices to do what we want to do. And, and um, spending plan, it doesn't mean you can't do fun things. I mean, it's just a whole lot of things that don't cost money. Um, or very little money. We don't have to pay a lot of money and sometimes the free things are healthier anyway. Um, so <clears throat> what I see often is, is especially early stage or startup businesses or nonprofits, we, we make bad decisions on spending. And so we put all the wants ahead of the needs like hiring staff prematurely until we've got enough money in the bank to pay for that person for at least a year. Um, so we, we get out ahead of it. We assume the product's going to sell. We assume that donors are going to donate. We assume we're going to get grants. Uh, so we hire in preparation for that. That's, that's one, of the, um, one of the bad habits that we bring over from our personal life. Just going to bully, bully our way through there. But really, we need to start having a foundation of, of regular recurring revenue before we can really get an, a, a director, executive director, or a funding specialist on our staff. Um, but it, it's good to get somebody on the staff that knows how to, how to track the money. So we need to do that. But it needs to be the right choice at the right stage, and we need, need to have a plan they can work. And then an accounting system to track it, because we just can't keep that in our head. And so we have lots of systems now that interface with our credit cards and our bank accounts, so it's automatically... Uh, kept up to date for us. So it's really a good era to be able to manage that. The other thing I see is we get a chunk of money. Okay, we have a donor write us a large check. Whoopee, we can go to work. We hire all these people. We, we you know, buy equipment. We rent some space and then we run out of money. So we really haven't looked at our forecast. A budget is, is a spending plan, but really how, what's our cash flow projection? You know, in business, we call it a burn rate. We're spending money and not selling things enough to offset the cost of doing business. And, and it's, it's still a burn rate in a nonprofit. We're not offsetting the old revenue with new revenue. We're spending the money without creating new money. So there's, there's a relationship money that comes from our personal life that brings a good discipline in, in running our organization. Now, um, I'm not perfect in all of this, so I'm not here saying I'm the model. I'm here saying it's something we all struggle with and need to be better at. So you want to comment on any of that? We're coming up to the end of the interview. So I've covered most of my topics, but talk a little bit about that. And then talk about um, after that piece, we, we have a relationship with money, but our relationships with people impact our cash as well. Perfect. Perfect. I could not have asked for better setup. So when it comes to the spending plan, right? So that's why this 30 day, if you do that for your personal, but you're also able to do that for your business, you're going to know exactly how much it takes for you to run your business on a monthly basis. So when you get that $100,000 check, what if you're able to put away one year, two years worth of your monthly obligations for the business 
and then spend the rest on projects, right? At least you know that you're covered for whatever it is, 12 months, you know, whatever that may be for you, right? Because we don't know when the next money is going to come in. Yeah. So that's magical because you know that you'll at least be able to continue to do that work for that amount of time. The more money that comes in, absolutely, it'll be better, but cover that base first. And it's a work in progress, right? And sometimes, you know, we're going to fall off track a little bit and it's just about getting back. But this keeping track or finding out what it is that you need on a monthly basis is magical because you're always going to be prepared. This is a way to go about it. It's, 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 it's the ideal situation. And also that peace of mind is going to come with it, knowing. And then, you know, prematurely hiring somebody. What if you're able to ask them to volunteer, you know, I don't know, five hours, 10 hours a week? Because then you're going to be able to get to know each other. You're going to be able to see each other's skill set so that when you're ready to hire them, they'll be able to step in, right? It's, it's that intern, if you will, you know, and then you'll know, is that somebody that's going to be a fit for your company? So asking for that volunteer, it's a great way, not only, of course, to help you until you get the money ready, but find out, are they a fit for your company? Because if they're not, then you're going to be spending a lot of money and a lot of time investing in something that may not work. So volunteer is a great way to go and to, to help you get fully staffed, do what you want to do, which is help, right? You want to give back, yes. but yes. not necessarily spend the money. Yes. So relationships, um, we have, we have um, mental capital. We got a product or service that we have our, our work that we do and we want financial capital, but there's this relationship capital that, that's in between those. You want I want you to, yeah, I want you to think about money and relationship the same way you would do a business partner, a donor or whatever, right? How you're talking to that donor is the same way you should be talking to money. If you're telling money that I don't have enough, you're never enough, I, you know, whatever it is, if that was a partner, and this is where the money relationship shifts, because if you start talking to money, Ask if you're in a relationship, because you are. We are in a relationship with money, whether we're ready, ready, open to admit that or not. But talk about money the same way you would talk about a potential donor, right? How you would treat that person is the same way. And same thing, right? You want to treat the donor the same way as money, and you want to treat money the same way as the donor. You want to be able, this is a win-win for all. There's something for the donor to contribute to your organization, but there's also some, right? So it's about building that and thinking about money and the fact that you're friends with. So start dating, start dating money and get to that point where you're ready to make a commitment and get married. So find your money leaks, uh, develop a plan, get an accountability partner. Um, don't, don't bleed yourself dry. Don't deprive yourself of fun things, but also be responsible. And your analogy with the, the person who was spending $750 and they cut it down to $250 uh, on lunches, um, they, they can now save money for a house. So in, in the world of nonprofits, we want to put away money to build an endowment fund. Now, people do give to it specifically, but we could build it in more, more than one way. And so having an endowment fund allows you to have a fund that makes interest that could pay for your operational expenses if it was large enough. 
And so that's that's one of the disciplines for a nonprofit that that, that we can take advantage of. So I'm gonna do a sponsor message here, Chella, and then come back to you for a final tip or a challenge. What do you wanna leave people with today? So I'm gonna talk about the Center Vision Leadership Foundation's Easy Card. An Easy Card lives on your smartphone. And if you wanted to send a text to this number, 64600. If you're watching this by video, you'll see that 64600 and the, and the word message LDR. That's very short for leader. So the number is 64600 and the message is LDR. You'll get a respond message and you'll get the easy card. It's our virtual card. It's like an app, but you don't download anything. It's just there magically. And so there's everything about um, Center Vision Leadership Foundation. I'm gonna click on this. It says Leadership Podcast. Um, it's about becoming a better leader. I'm gonna talk about, I'll look at this Nonprofit exchange. Uh, I look down, look at there, shift your money relationship, finding your money leak. So there's today's session already there. And, and if you have the easy card, you and I and everybody in Center Vision are connected. So we do have a community of leaders in the Center Vision community, peer to peer support. You learn things, you grow your skills, you grow your organization, and you have friends all over the country and running nonprofits, churches, small group organizations, membership organizations, and educators together having conversations. So check out easycard.com, get your CenterVision card. And then on there, it says, how do you get your easy card? It's a good way for you to stay in touch with your tribe. Uh, this Lynchburg Symphony has an easy card and we did a live stream concert on Friday night because we can't go to the theater. So we had some of our orchestra members on stage six feet apart and we did a live stream and I sent out a text to all the, all the people on the card said, come and watch the live stream. And we had a record numbers and they didn't forget because the hour before I said, it's coming up an hour. Here's the link where to watch it. And they can watch it right on their phone. So get your easy card and stay in touch with your tribe. Chella, this has been helpful stuff. It's not all theory. It's useful, applicable information. That's what we like to do here is help leaders be better leaders. What, what closing thought do you want to leave people with? I truly encourage you to do the four-week challenge. It's just four weeks to finding your money leaks and get your money journey on track. Love to hear from you. Uh, it's, just, it's been a pleasure and an honor to be here today. And I, every single person that has done this, their money has conversation, the relationship has shifted. So highly encourage you. It's only four weeks. Only four weeks. That might be risk your life down or if you don't do it up or so tell us built rebuilding our website. We will put your website link on the on the narrative here for the nonprofit exchange, the the copy so people will be able to find you. So Chella Diaz, thank you for being our guest today on the nonprofit exchange. It's been an honor. Thank This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>